Okay, let's begin. I am Lanice Antoine Shelley, and I'll be your host through constructive, healing-based conversations designed to illuminate the adoptee, parents, and the adoption curious. We center the topics around community, mentorship, leadership, and healing, so you get a multi-dimensional view that is ultimately empowering. These are the voices who could not speak when they were young. Okay, before we get into it, I wanted to share with you some new offerings. We've just partnered with Isaac Edder's company called Identity, who provides adoption consulting and short practical guide pamphlets, a practical guide to transracial adoption and a practical guide to black hair care. As a listener, you get 15% off. Just click the link in the show notes where you can find all references and hot topics that are talked about in each episode. And since you're listening, I just wanted to thank those of you who've rated and reviewed this podcast, because every five-star click helps remind these platforms that our work matters and helps me keep going. So those of you who are getting so much out of these conversations and have taken the 30 seconds to write a positive takeaway, I see you and I thank you. Those who haven't yet, now is the time, my love. Let's talk about it on Instagram after you go ahead and click five stars and write a review. Hello, good day, fam. Now I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to answer truthfully. How is your heart? It's been a week where the collective ache was palpable. I feel myself buffering a lot these days. I've used the word buffering before, which simply means doing things to escape my present circumstances because they are harsh right now by watching TV or pulling away from people or things to self-preserve. It's incredibly hard to find the balance between staying informed and getting overwhelmed. I think for myself, I just need to be gentle You should be gentle with yourself. As you process these dragons from within and without that are constant and relentless, find a community, people that are safe, that you can commune with. We are one. We are a community, this when they were young fam, right? But find people near you who can go on walks with you, go out in nature, I go earthing as often as I can, which is just laying out on the beach or soil in a park to get the natural healing hurts energy of the earth below and the sun above. There is no stronger medicine than connection and earthing. I find myself being less motivated and a bit sluggish these days. How about you? It becomes easier when you're locked into a a sense of purpose. I'm literally editing this the day it's being released. (laughs) That's how slow to the game I am these days. But I'm here. I made it. And so did you. So there is the triumph, right? But I want to maintain my connection with you. It's so important, especially now. In return, would you be able to write me an iTunes review about the impact of this podcast, pretty please? 
I'm trying to grow this network. And the only way to do that is by showing the algorithms that people are listening and need this work. And the reviews are the one thing that people look to. So today's guest is the delightful Brandy Ebersole. She is a writer, adoptee, mentor, and adoptive parent. We talk about how being an adoptee informed her path as an adoptive parent and how people reference her story when talking about adoption. People do that to me as well. And the key thing to remember is that adoption is not monolithic. Every outcome varies. One thing remains the same, though. The journey to identity and self-realization is lengthened for us adoptees. I love this conversation. It's so deep and rich and fun. Brandy is so much fun. So let's go ahead and lean in. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to my office. Um, that's my friend. He owns a videography company. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, awesome. Which is fun. So. Um, this is my office. <laughs> awesome. I wish I, that looks so cozy. Yes. I have to make it cozy because these Zoom meetings get long, you know, and so yes, you have to I be do. comfortable, right? Yes, exactly. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. Can yeah. you just pronounce your full name so that I have it? Yes, I'm Brandy Ebersole. Okay. And okay. Say, say your name again. Lenise. Lenise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I I was actually born Lunise Antoine. Oh, okay. My mom changed it to Lenise and Shelly, and I reclaimed it in high school as Lenise Antoine Shelly. I love it. That's awesome. Lenise is so pretty. I have to do an episode on just names, right? Yeah, you should. Because like, there are so many stories as to how adoptees reclaim their name and whether they want to and all of that, right? Yeah. Um, But I want to get to you and and your fabulous work and the the work that you're doing, which is so extensive and vast. I want to hear all about it. So tell me about your mentorship and consulting and all of that, and we'll get down to it. Okay. Um, So yeah, it's kind of happened organically. So I think because I have sat in the space for a long time, it feels like these days. Um, I am an adoptive parent as well. And so I have gotten to know a lot of these families over the years. And it's become quite a um, place of connection for um, a lot of these kids and myself. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times um, I'm the story that they reference. And so I also have a background in sociology and social work. And so it came pretty naturally for me to kind of set up these Zoom calls um, to kind of just, I don't like to spend time together, to get to know each other, to share each other's stories. And um, what I've realized is there's like a real currency between them and I, because they trust that I'm, I have, I have experienced a lot of the same things that they are experiencing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been really, a really cool kind of shift in my work. Um, so yeah, I do that once a week. I meet with kids and um, all day. It's actually today. Usually a lot of the kids are on breaks and it's all been all kind of wonky the past couple of weeks. But, and then 
um, yeah, I just, I never had anything like that. I didn't, I grew up in a predominantly white community. Um, I, I was just watching this is us last night and realizing I don't even think I laid eyes on an adult Korean or Asian person until I was in high school. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Asian being like the people that worked at the Chinese restaurant and then, um, Korean, I don't think I met an actual Korean and had a relationship with them until I was on a missions trip in Africa. So yeah, it's, it's been a very interesting, I think my desire is to, my big kind of mission is to give um, the next generation of adoptees something really different than what we were given. So that's kind of like where I'm at. Does that make sense? How was that emotionally for you being exposed to Asian Americans after that growing up without for so long? Because I know for me, seeing more Black people, even though truly it was about like 10 in my high school and my middle school, I felt a, a sense of pressure to be something, become something that I didn't quite know how to articulate. So how was it for you? I mean, I think I'm a pretty, um, that's what I'm looking for. I am an avoider in a lot of ways. And I did thankfully have um, like three other Korean adoptees that I went to high school with, which was kind of funny um, in the sense of it was pretty popular in the area that I grew up in. And there was a sense of like understanding between all of us, but also I think I definitely had some pretty um, blind racial views of myself for a really long time. I definitely have, I can reflect on the different seasons where when I was even looking at colleges, um, a certain college gave me a really hefty scholarship. But when I went, they, um, they set me up with like all the Asian and international students. And I then decided not to go there because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to have that many Asian people. I think I was so used to being the only that um, for me, it was like overwhelming and super hard. Um, And so I think then moving on and seeing now where I am 20 years later, almost, I can see very clearly the work that I needed to do and the representation that I needed to have. I didn't know what it meant. I think it was so foreign. And being an international adoptee, which I know you can relate, Mm -hmm. there was a sense of my Koreanness existed there and not here. Um, And so it's been a definite reckoning and healing healing season for me to find ways that my my identity lives in America and what it means to be a Korean American and Mm -hmm. not um, an international adoptee, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I am wondering, when did you start to want to share your story and start this platform that you have now? Yeah. Um, So I think my platform, I wanted to start sharing my story when we adopted our our first daughter. Um, And so I think that there was this real sense of purpose. And um, it was just this like, awakening to the story that I didn't, that we held. Um, my daughter's birth mother is also an adoptee. And so there was this like sense of shared experience and kind of this, um, what is it like 
journey that we were on that felt very um, special in a way because of that understanding that we had between each other. So we have a very open adoption with her biological parents. And so I think that that's really where it started. However, at the same time, um, our daughter came into our lives pretty quickly in the sense of it was sudden because we thought we had a like three year wait. And in, re- in reality, we had like a three week wait. Um, and so during that time, I had been doing a search for my biological family. And so I think that having those two things happen parallel, like getting to know a birth mother and her story and um, basically having her become a part of my family while reckoning with my own birth mother and story, I think it became very clear that I was processing a lot of that. And so a lot of it became a part of my platform and a part of the work that I wanted to do. Um, And I see that play out in so many different ways now. And it's something that, I don't know, I'm, I'm still learning and, and evolving on how best to um, kind of share that with the world. Hey, I want to share with you something that has changed my life. It's more like someone, my therapist. Why is she so important? Well, because I want to win in this life. I want to break through the carousel of stories I've compiled that hold me back, that keep me from expanding into my full potentiality. Stories of unworthiness, not enoughness, and even stories of questioning why I am here. I also want to stop dumping my unsorted feelings on the people around me and reacting with the same behavioral patterns that keep me stuck. Conversations with my therapist have made me more confident, clearer in my intention, and more centered in my spirit. That is why I am elated that we are sponsored by BetterHelp, where you can, from wherever you happen to be right now, match with a therapist tailored to your exact needs. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. Someone who you can text at any time and schedule online for either a chat, Zoom, or phone call. And if it turns out that your therapist isn't the right fit, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional cost. Visit the link in the show notes, betterhelp.com, when they were young, to get 10% off the first month. You need to click the link in the show notes in order to get the 10% discount. I want to see you win, beloved. Let's do it together. Visit the link, betterhelp.com, when they were young. Hmm. Well, your website is gorgeous. I just Thank love you. Feels on the website. Do you do it yourself? Are you I good? did. Um, well, kind of. I had a friend help me. She's a graphic designer, um, web person. And oh, then geez. we like did some of it together. And yeah, we just, it was like, it was like a, she was a big help though, for sure. Yours is beautiful too. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I I have enjoyed just like, really futzing around on my website. I had some professional photos taken and, um, and it's a lot of fun just figuring it out. I should probably, when I'm, when it's under construction, tell people that and just have yeah. it under construction, but I fiddle with it all the time. <laughs> like yes. I'll change the color overnight and things like that. But 
oh, well, I think it's fun. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, So how does one get involved with your mentorship program and your counseling? Yeah, so they can fill out the form on the website um, and just kind of like we go through a process in which I'll interview um, the parents and get kind of like an intake of what your kid is like and make sure that you think that I'm a good fit and kind of lay out what a session would look like for a child. And then um, we usually have them and I meet. And then there's a a six week commitment for us to try to like establish a relationship. And if this, after the six weeks, it still feels like a good fit and we'll continue. Otherwise um, we move on. And so, yeah, there's, their rapport has been pretty, um, positive in a lot of ways, but sometimes it just doesn't fit with schedules, like with all the ways that hybrid and school have gone this year, there's been some kinks in the road, but, um, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how it evolves in the new season. Okay. And in you adopting a child, is your child Asian or is it an interracial adoption? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's transracial. So we've actually adopted twice. Um, once privately, which is, um, when our daughter and we are connected to her parents. Um, so she's Mexican and then our son, um, he was our foster son and then his goal changed to adoption. And so he, um, he's African-American. So, okay. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. Yeah. Rarely do you see, uh, do you see this combination? And I'm very fascinated with it. And I love hearing this because I do feel that if more people of color adopted, the narrative behind it would shift a bit too. Mm-hmm. And uh, And in this work, I'm discovering that there are people of color who are adopting indeed but they're not as um they're not as advertised as much as the white couple narratives mm-hmm. this white narrative that everyone knows about yeah. so how has that been for you in this multicultural family yeah i mean it's really beautiful i think that there is a gift that my kids are all getting and we are getting in a lot of senses um, of being able to have these shared experiences. Mm -hmm. I think there's also a lot of pain in that. I think I'm not, um, I'm not unaware of what it feels like to be transracially adopted. I'm not unaware of the grief that comes with that. I think also with the way that society is right now in the world and how heightened um, just the, the racial conversation is, I think there's often um, days my kids are, are young, they're all under seven. And so um, I think there are days though, where we're having conversations that they're, they're having an understanding of the world in a way that they wouldn't have if they didn't. I mean, I, I think we would still be having these conversations, even if the kids weren't in our home, but there's this sense of um, family that is attached to these moments that is really different than um, it's something you're reading in the news. So yeah, I, I hope that it breeds empathy and connection for them um, as the time moves on. Yeah, absolutely. And how was the conversation? I'm just very fascinated with this. Yeah. I've never 
encountered a family such as yours. And I think it's such a beautiful thing to highlight because I, part of my mission with this podcast is to highlight the extraordinary uh, nooks and crannies of the adoption community that one is not exposed to. Yeah. And, and to really steer people away from these stereotypes and these tropes about adoption that can be harmful, that can be limiting in their belief systems. And, and so to encounter your family is so inspiring and encouraging as to where people are going <clears throat> with, with this idea of adoption, that it is because growing up, my belief was that only white people adopted and only white suburbanites. Mm-hmm. And so now I am being exposed to families that are multicultural, multinational, uh, and who are doing the work necessary for these kinds of family, families to flourish in. And so what was the work like for you in raising a, a Black child and a Mexican child? What, what sort of things are you doing to support these children? Yeah, so I think it's important to also note that I'm also raising um, an Asian child. So I have a biological son as well. So mm-hmm. we have our um, Latino daughter and our Asian son and our Black, our black son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the work that we're doing is I'm not going to shy away from educating them on who they are. My three-year-old can tell you that he's black and my three-year-old can tell you surprises me all the time when he is able to see and realize that his friends are black. Um, And I think there's a commitment that I have to have to my community to um, keep them exposed to a broad a broad view of who all these people are. It's interesting to hear the conversations that they're already having where, you know, I can be describing a physique, you know, that they're like the other day, my son was asking why I was so tall and and thin. And I said, well, it's because I'm Asian. And that is a stereotype that I have in my brain, but we also have some really good um, Korean friends and the dad, the Korean dad is, you know, much more, um, muscular and stout and, you know, he's built very differently. And he corrected me and he said, no, Asians are not all tall and thin mom. Like what about Mr. John? And I just had to be, I had to laugh because they see it. And I think that there's been such a richness, um, from seeing it from their eyes, because I think for, I was so, you know, I was raised in the the colorblind, um, generation, and so there was so much of this that I missed. And there's so many times where I catch them say, saying things that I would have never had the, the whereabouts to say. Um, and instead, I just internalized this, I think, difference that I carried. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with it. And they very clearly know what to do with it. And that is to celebrate it and to, to address it and to you know, to, to find it in other people. And I just think that that's really beautiful. Um, and so I think that that's the commitment. Um, and it's, and it's also a big excavating though, within my white, my white family. I think there are lots of conversations that we're having around this. I think that there's lots of healing that's needing to happen between all of the family, because if I look out at my family, me and my children 
because my husband is white, are the only people of color often um, in these big extended families. And that can feel really um, isolating in a lot of ways, but I, I, I don't, I cannot allow that isolation to, to live within my home. And then in, in hopes that my kids will challenge the system outside so that it's not, it's not happening internally. Um, and in the big families either. So yeah, they're, they're learning. It's, it's fun. Yeah. And that's what it's about, right? Is the learning. And that's yeah. what I want to encourage in, in these parental systems is the need to learn, to yep. explore, to identify the stereotypes and then to dismantle them. Because I love that your son corrected you on that. And yeah. the children are so perceptive and so smart and we cannot fool them no. <laughs> at all, you know, because growing up, I was part of the colorblind, you know, generation as well, where people, uh, my grandparents literally told me that they just wanted to treat me like all of the other cousins. Mm -hmm. And, and I see their, the intent behind it. Right. And I see that it was not um, in any form, a malicious move to, to deny that I was black or to deny that I was Haitian. They wanted to make sure I felt comfortable, but in doing so, they made me feel othered even more. Mm -hmm. And that's what people need to understand. There is no such thing as color blindness mm -hmm. because kids see it. Yeah. They acknowledge it. They're not blind to any of these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I love that they... No, you know, I, I just, I, I think I lived so many years in the unknown that mm -hmm. there's a power in that. Um, and I'm not saying that it won't go without pain. And I think that there's parts of that, that I'm reckoning with and that I can't protect them from. Right. But then there's parts of it that I so celebrate. And, um, because so many of my kind of like ghosts are not going to be theirs in a lot of ways. So it's, it's really cool to see. I keep on muting you because my cat's so noisy. <laughs> I, I can't even hear. I can't even hear it. That's so she, funny. She's like chomping on her dry food over there. Aww. But, uh, but yeah, that is all so interesting. Um, I'm very enthused by that. And your example of a family unit, because as Thank you mentioned, you. us uh, and I haven't really gotten into that show at all. I, I started it, but then once I realized that it was kind of about a dog, <laughs> like, oh, I don't know if no. I want to watch this. I kind of have to prepare myself for shows that are about adoption and just, yeah, I have to prepare myself. And the, the Queen's Gambit, I really enjoy the Queen's Gambit just because yeah. it, it's, I find that the adoption story is secondary Okay. And they're showing the success of an orphan, of an adoptee. And, and I like that twist because that's the angle that I usually take on adoption. I think adoption is just a fraction of who we are. There's so many other glorious elements that need to yeah. be highlighted about us, our accomplishments, our tenacity, our resilience, our, our ability to um, really fortify ourselves in various moments. Mm -hmm. 
because it's so easy to continue to perpetuate the idea of the orphan, right? Yeah. And and that image of Oliver Twist and the the dirty little orphan I want to steer away from and, and show people that adoptees are magnificent beings and deserve to be acknowledged for the variety of offerings that they have. Totally. Yeah, I agree. I think that there is something really special to be said, though. Also, the way that media has picked up on on our identity, because for me, it's so powerful to see myself and so many of the things that have internally happened to me on a screen. Yeah. I think for so long, I, I didn't see myself racially. Now I see myself racially. And then it's even more beautiful to see myself in this place that is so vulnerable and has shaped so much of my personality and the way that I work in the world. Um, so yeah, I, I have, I haven't gotten into the queen's gamut, um, but I have gotten into this as us and it's, I do find you're right. There is a part of, there was a heaviness that it carries, but um, I do think that there's like enough other stuff to kind of like deflect that. I mean, it is TV at the end of the show. Often I have to say to my husband or my friend, if I'm watching with her, like, this is TV. Like this can't be my reality. You know, I don't get to meet my birth dad, my birth mom and have positive conversations with my family. Like, you know, it doesn't work like that. This is TV. But um, I think just even hearing some of the themes displayed in a way that is honoring to my story is really cool. Um, Yeah, um, it is. Uh, So what are you up to now and where can people find you? Yeah. So, um, I am on Instagram. I often, you can find me there obviously. And then I have a website, which is brandyebersole.com. And there, if you have like a collaboration or you're interested in mentoring, I also, um, have shifted away my photography work. I am a full-time photographer, um, doing like weddings and events, but my adoption work, I've shifted away from doing, um, adoption ceremonies just because I felt like, it was a kind of like one moment celebration. And I really truly believe that the adoptee experience is like broad and wide. And so I have shifted my work into doing like reunion photographs, or if there's some way that we can like express your story in, um, or maybe even it is you and your family. Um, but in a way that it is um, journalistic versus this like celebration um, cause I have photographed adoptions now for, I think over six years. And so, um, yeah, so all that information is on my site and I love, um, collaborating with awesome people like you and like having really cool conversations. So yeah, that's where you can find me. I also, um, am a contributor at Kindred and Co. And so I do write there and I help Hannah a bit with some of the, Hannah's the founder, um, with some of the kind of like administrative work to run the blog. So yeah, I'm kind of got my hands dabbled in a lot of different places, but I'm around for sure. Okay. Well, I asked this last question uh, to all of my guests. Uh, Where in your life do you think you can apply courage? Yeah. Um, I think currently I'm applying a lot of courage to the continued healing work that I'm doing internally and 
um, just learning to bring that externally, right? So I feel like in the past five years, I've done a lot of work around reclaiming my racial identity and um, kind of reclaiming my adoption story. And so I think now where I'm at, um, I'm in a place where I'm hoping to retry to look for my biological parents. I'm hoping that COVID will take a break and I'll be able to travel and because I have not been back um, to Korea and I would really like to do that. So yeah, that's, I'm finding courage and taking small steps toward those things. Another beautiful episode. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to my guest today. If you liked this episode, the best way to support me and this work is to write an iTunes review, a five-star review. (laughs) This helps us reach the top of searches and helps more people to find us. And if you personally want to connect, please reach out on Instagram or Facebook. And I have some great resource material on my website at laniceantoinshelly.com. So go on over there too. Until next we meet, go gently and have courage, my love.